0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about five things
1: people get wrong about the Pope. Yeah, we're going to look at the most common misconceptions about the Pope and tell you the truth about the successor of St. Peter. This show is all about Pope fiction.
0: be back in the studio with you guys. I love this topic. Really interested in a lot of this stuff, so I'd like to get started.
2: It's true. There's a, there's a lot of misconceptions about the Pope out there, and hopefully this show will be able to dispel all of them.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing that non-Catholics probably have the most questions about, the most misunderstandings about, because it's really the thing that's maybe most unique among the Christian denominations that us, the true church has the Pope. And that's the thing that really differentiates us from Protestants, Mm -hmm. right? Is having that successor of Jesus as the visible sign of unity in our church. So we're going to get through all those today and and talk about those things that people really either use to slander the church or really deeply misunderstand about the church.
2: And I think it would be really important to just start out with scripture right away. And then we're going to jump into the catechism and like these five leading things, right? That, That people definitely get wrong. So, from Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to him and replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly father. And so I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. It's important to realize the, identis, the identification that Jesus expresses in the, in the nature of who Peter is in relationship to the church. And one thing he is not is Jesus Christ. That's he right. is the vicar of Christ. So we're going to jump into that a little bit more deeply here. So where do we start? What's the
1: first one? So I think the first one, we'll kind of combine two to start, mm-hmm. right? And I think these ones are kind of interchangeably misunderstood. And that's papal infallibility and papal impeccability. Now, there's a big difference between the two, but that first one, papal infallibility, that's the one that really gets everyone's druthers up. They're like, well, what is this? Well, the Pope can't be wrong. And that comes from a really deep misunderstanding about how the church teaches the truths of the faith and how it protects the safeguard of both tradition and the teachings of the gospel. So... What is papal infallibility? Papal infallibility is when the Pope has the ability to define a dogma. The Pope does not have the ability to create a new dogma. He can't say, well, I now say that you are not allowed to have a beer, and since I'm the Pope, beer is outlawed. It it doesn't work like that. It's never something that's adding to the deposit of the faith. It's always something that is clarifying Definitively, a matter that has always been held by the church, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and to even think of the word infallibility, you know, to consider what's fallacious, what's what's wrong, or what's filled with error. um, Infallibility means literally, etymologically, is just it's without error. Yeah, you know, so the Holy Father has a specific role in relationship to infallibility, but so does every other bishop. But it's important to realize that it's not the Pope himself that's infallible, it's Jesus Christ's teaching, Mm -hmm. which is the deposit of the faith that's received by the apostles. The apostolic college is one that discerns as a a magisterial body, that sense of how do we define and help to articulate with clarity what Jesus who is infallible is, is sharing with humanity because it's a share from the apostolic college really in Jesus's infallibility. I think that's a really important thing to express. Yeah. yeah. And, and most of it
0: is, you know, like you said, it's it's just proclaiming something that's already true or held in the church and through cultural or, you know, t- timing and things like that, that come up where that needs to be done. Cause we see so much of our faith that's been defined or proclaimed in that manner through, you know, contention or, uh, you know, councils and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's kind of an interesting dynamic there, but what what exactly would it be like? You know, if you know if you're you're talking about the Pope saying something in, infallible, like right? mm-hmm. it, it would be like a body of people, you know, College of Cardinals or you know, a Curia coming an
2: ecumenical council,
0: right? Well, through, like, so there's it?
1: actually there's actually a difference between that. So mm-hmm. there are things that the Church can teach infallibly that doesn't need a proclamation of in, papal infallibility, right? There can be things like the teaching of uh, it gets murder, right? Well, the whole church, in accordance with Scripture and tradition, says murder is wrong. That is an infallible teaching that is proclaimed by the church in general, not from specifically an ex-cathedra statement of the Pope. Mm-hmm. So there's four conditions for a papal teaching to be considered infallible. And those conditions are that the Pope speaks as the universal doctor and shepherd. So he is really... He's speaking in his place of primacy as the successor of Peter and the vicar he of Christ. Always do that? Right. But that's one of the conditions because now the Pope can say, well, I think you should get a vaccine. Well, he's not speaking from a place as Peter. The doctor of the church. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. not speaking as Peter. He's speaking as, you know, the Pope. There's a difference, right? You know, the Pope can have an opinion on the death penalty that is not necessarily infallible or, or any matter, you know, any number of matters. The second condition is that he is using his full apostolic authority. Again, he's using that that role of the Petrine ministry, okay? The third is that he expresses clearly his will to define, right? It's not saying, well that sounded pretty authoritative. He no, he has to specifically say I am defining X mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. And that the fourth is that the matter defined deals with faith or morals. morals yeah. And that has to be in conjunction with Mm -hmm. all of the bishops of the church. Mm -hmm. Those are the conditions for a statement to be papally infallible. And it's only been used twice Mm -hmm. as we know it, Mm -hmm. only two times. Mm -hmm.
2: And that's the most important factor here to consider is that this has only been used very, very rarely and with great clarity the definitive action of the pope speaking ex cathedra out of out of his patron office out of the seat mm-hmm. of the successor of saint peter it is his role to to express in that definitive manner proper teachings as it relates to faith and morals and, you know, school's out on, on how many times it's happened. So some people say two, some people say seven. six or seven, right. some people say eight. But can say like under 10 right. times has this definitively been done by a pope throughout the history of the Catholic Church over 2,000 years. Wow. And what, I, what I've been praying about and thinking about relating to this uh, topic, so many non-Catholics and even Catholics get this wrong mm-hmm. But when it comes to our brethren of like evangelical background, Baptist background, the Sola Scriptura background, when it comes to infallibility, they're right there with us in respect to the infallible teachings of Jesus. Right. And they have specific bodies of people and elders in a way that discern what, what are the teachings and how are we going to apply? Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's beautiful to consider that we do have relationships in that same manner, but we have them all the way back to the successors of the apostles with that lineage all the way back to Peter in the scripture, scriptural foundation of that
1: role. You know, here's a good analogy. And, and what you're saying, how like, even Protestants will have a council of elders who will define mm-hmm. or discuss with things. You know, you guys both like football and you've watched football games, right? And there's a, there's a completion, but, you know, is his foot inbound? Did he maintain possession through the act of the catch? Well, the rules are very clear. The rule book is the rule book, and this is what defines a catch, right? And those are not up for debate. That, in this analogy, is the teaching of Christ. The rules and the truth are not up for debate. Mm-hmm. But how did this specific situation get interpreted through those rules, right? Is this really that? So although well, you have the referees and the umpires. They're like, well, I think it was a catch. And was like, I don't know. Well, someone throws mm-hmm. a challenge flag, right? That's a cultural upheaval. You go to the review and then they send it to New York and New York says definitively because they are the ones who have the power to define that. And they have the rule book and say, well, in this situation right here with the rules, this is it. And no coach, no player, no referee, even on the field can overrule it. And that's really kind of what happens here Mm -hmm. with these statements of papal infallibility. Hmm.
2: And thank God for those structures. I mean, where would the game be in football without those that type of structural organization? But even more so, you know, we have over 60,000 denominations of Christianity right now, which is grievous. You know, like mm-hmm. Jesus expresses that, you know, the father wants us to be one just mm-hmm. as he is one with the father. You know, but to, to where would Christianity be without that type of structural organization and and a sense of – Leaning into that internal control over dogma and doctrine and infallibility in this case.
1: You know, heaven is ordered. Heaven is ordered and structured with hierarchy. That is the nature of the creator God mm-hmm. to do things and create things that have a structure and an order in a greater level of perfection. And wouldn't the church founded on that rock of St. Peter have that same structure? Wouldn't it reflect the heavenly structure? And because in his goodness and wisdom, he knows that human beings need that structure and they need that ability to arbiter rules and arbiter teachings when they are not clear, because that is why we have 60,000 denominations. Because, Mm -hmm. well, I I disagree with you. Well, fine, we're our own church. And those disagreements without somebody who was appointed by Christ to um, pastor in those situations leads to that terrible and grievous division within the body of Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. And and it also points to how important it is for bishops to be in communion and college together mm-hmm. because we need to have ministers who administer the greater union and fabric of our respect for the Holy Father and the successors of the apostles. And I think this is a perfect segue to have contact with the catechism and what the catechism expresses as it relates to infallibility before we move to impeccability mm-hmm. and what that, what that means. So the mission of the magisterium, this is in the teaching office of the church The mission of the magisterium is linked to the definitive nature of the covenant established by God with his people in Christ. It is the magisterium's task to preserve God's people from deviations and defections and to guarantee them the objective possibility of professing the true faith without error. This is going exactly to your point, Sheel. Thus, the pastoral duty of the magisterium is aimed at seeing to it that the people of God abides in the truth that liberates, that ultimately frees our humanity and our communion with one another. To fulfill this service, Christ endowed the church's shepherds with the charism of infallibility in matters of faith and morals. The exercise of this charism takes several forms. So these are the several forms. The Roman pontiff, head of the college of bishops, enjoys the infallibility and virtue of his office. When a supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful who confirms his brethren the faith proclaims a definitive act of doctrine pertaining to the faith of morals. The infallibility promised to the church is also present in the body of bishops. When together with Peter's successor, they exercise the supreme magisterium above all in an ecumenical council. When the church through its supreme magisterium proposes a doctrine for belief as being divinely revealed and as the teaching of the Christ definitions must be adhered to with obedience of faith, this infallibility extends as far as the deposit of divine revelation itself, all the way back to Jesus the incarnation
1: and the person of Christ. You know, and that goes back to Matthew 16, 18 that you yep. read earlier is that, well, I found I, I found my church on you, but he also said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, unless there is a bulwark against those forces of hell, things will prevail against it unless there are strong foundations. And now you mentioned right there that the church, in its teaching, right, ecumenical councils could define things that are. That are dogma that are revealed truths, divinely in uh, divinely revealed, and then defined by a council. That's one way that a dogma can be established. Another way is through the ordinary and universal magisterium, right? So some people conjecture that uh, uh, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, John Paul II, was a papally infallible statement when he said that men that women, women cannot, cannot can be. be priests, mm-hmm. but. Really, the Vatican said, no, this is something that is taught by the entire church, not by a statement. This is a reaffirmation, almost like, you know, a council without the meeting. Now, there the two times that are very clear that papal infallibility have been used are uh, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of Mary, 1854-1950. But some scholars would say there's up to seven, for example, like Leo I, the Tome de Flavian... Um, where they say he sent a letter to the Council of Chalcedon, right? Or the letter of Pope Agatho on the two wills of Christ mm-hmm. to the Council of Constantinople, because looking back back at them, as we now understand papal infallibility, they had those four marks, mm-hmm. right? The desire to teach, teach, you know.
2: And it, and it brought the, def, the defective commu, uh, communities that were separating themselves right. back together into one. So,
1: mm-hmm. those are like the three ways mm-hmm. that dogma can be defined through council, mm-hmm. through uh, papal infallibility, or through the universal and accepted ordinary magisterium. Now, the second one is kind of the flip side of that where, well, the Pope can't be wrong. In certain conditions, the Pope cannot be wrong. That's just that. But the the thing that it gets conflated with is that the pope can't be bad, that the pope can't make a mistake. And that's the second thing that people misunderstand is papal impeccability, which mm-hmm. means the pope can't be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. The pope can't do things that are wrong. And that's not true. I mean, we've done an episode on the worst popes, you know, those— The hillbillies of Rome, the Mm -hmm. theophylacti. right? right. theophylacti. And let me tell you, brother, they did some bad things (laughs) yeah, right right there. And if you're sitting there thinking that we have the worst pope
2: in the history of the world and you're in these different sidings of Uh. politics, you know, read the history books, you know, read the history books. But it's all related to how important is the role of Peter in his church Mm -hmm. and all of his successors, including the (laughs) theophylacti in that respect. And thank God, because it has held together the church, even in times of great sin and disdain. Mm-hmm. Impeccability is that peccati, like sin. sin, that you this this the Pope is without sin. That is absolutely false. You know, the book of Proverbs expresses very clearly that the righteous person sins seven times a day. But the, the distinction is that the, the sinful person actually gets back up on his feet. You know, where the wicked person is doomed to destruction. So we have to pray for our Pope, just like we need to pray for our pastors, our bishops, our brothers and sisters, all of the faithful, and even for the conversion of sinful humanity, like in in a
1: constant manner. You know, people out there watching this, who watch other YouTube channels that are, I don't know, more extreme than ours. Well, they think Pope Francis is the worst Pope ever. Pope Francis is probably historically... You know, an average pope. That's not saying anything bad about him. He's, you know, it's not terrible. It's not Leo or, you know, Gregory the Great or anything. He's an average pope. But one thing that he does that I think is really particularly good and that talks to this papal impeccability is that you'll see him very publicly in the middle of a procession. He'll stop and he'll go to the confessional and he will have, he will make his confession very publicly showing he is a sinner, right? Popes sin just like everybody else. Catholics don't believe that the pope can't sin. Catholics don't even believe that most of the popes were good. You know, a lot of them have been real clunkers, right? Um, I mean, you've had popes who've murdered people and popes who've had children and popes who had all kinds of terrible debauchery going Mm -hmm. on. Yeah, popes who renounced Jesus
2: Christ three times. Yeah. And it happened to be <laughs> the Peter first Pope. Right?
1: <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Catholics don't believe that popes can't sin. Everyone sins. All have fallen short, right? Mm-hmm. All sin. The righteous man sins seven times mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get on to our third one, Padre, why don't you tell people how they can follow us and learn more about us?
2: That's right. So if you want to follow us on social media, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Catholic Talk Show. Also, if you're viewing our content, you cannot wait a single moment to subscribe and click the bell so that whenever we produce a show or any content, it will populate in your feed and you won't miss one minute of Catholic Talk Show content. If you're exploring other ways to listen in, even on your commute, check out catholictalkshow.com. There you'll see every way that you could listen in. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and so many other forums. So check out Catholic Talk Show today, and you could also see ways that you could support our show. We wouldn't be able to produce the show without our patrons. So if you're considering becoming a financial contributor to the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show. There you'll see every way that you could support us, and we want to share our appreciation and our gratitude for all the people who are our patrons to support us each and every week. We thank you, and God bless you.
1: Thanks, Padre. Absolutely. So let's get into another one, Ryan, and this is one that you and I were talking about a little bit. That I think you had a lot of insights as to why it's such a stumbling block for you know Protestants and non Catholics.
0: Oh yeah, the, the second or the third one is going to be the Pope is that we worship the Pope, um, and uh, you know I grew up in the Bible Belt, and you know there was a, a lot more Protestants than there were Catholics, and I think a lot of them you know, it's just kind of a spirit. It's just kind of a dissing spirit of the Catholic church. And this is just lumped in. Like if, you know, if I met somebody and somebody gossiped about them and said, hey, you know, watch out for this guy. He's, you know, a bad doctor or whatever. Like I wouldn't take their word for it. I'd probably, you know, if I did want to understand if the guy was practicing medicine well and I wanted to use him, I'd probably dive a little bit deeper into it. So we got to understand even with infallibility and all this stuff, it's like if people don't even, like, make the effort to try to understand, mm. like, you're going to get stuff like this. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that spirit is kind of, like, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing is uh, Howard and I, we, Howard mentioned just earlier about when we were in D.C. and we went to go see Pope Benedict, there were all these guys dressed as priests on the way out, and they were handing out these, like, chick tracks, you know? And they're, <laughs> they're like, the Pope is the Antichrist. He is, you know. So— you know, again, it's just like it's it's a it's sort of like this mental exercise of just hey, I'm just going to keep my distance from the Catholic Church. This sounds like a pretty mm-hmm. good
1: you and, know and thing because there's no real proof.
0: you It's can't, true. If you go, if you dive as deep as you want, you're not going to find that mm-hmm. Catholics worship mm-hmm. the Pope. You're
2: not even going to come close. Right. And that's the that's the unfortunate thing. It's dismissive. Thing. People yeah. are not digging deep into looking into something. It's right. it's almost like hearsay what you're what you're talking about. Yeah. And I've seen that in my own life too. Yeah, and
0: I got friends that are you know non denominational Baptist, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're friends and like, I appreciate their faith. And if I have a question about it, I ask them to try Mm -hmm. to understand it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. You got to understand most of the people that are saying these things are not only not
1: informed, but they don't want to be informed. Mm -hmm. Right. This is just a a common thing. Or it's a direct challenge to the structure of their beliefs. right? Right. Because in the church, there is a, there is an importance and a primacy of the position of the Pope because of those reasons we just talked about having that arbiter, who can clearly teach on the deposit of faith? Now you have these other denominations, and well, they've set themselves up as that little that little pope. Sure. They, we got sixty thousand little popes running leadership. around. Everybody's like, got yeah, elders,
2: to and and that's and that's so true. Yeah. And and really, it I've met so many Baptists, so many Protestants, and it's all about the culture of their particular fellowship and their leadership Their leadership because i've i've had phenomenal relationships with baptist brethren i've had phenomenal relationships with protestant brethren yeah. that were never taught that catholics are evil true but then at the same time I've, I've had other experiences as well you know
0: i think people have encounters with christ through their church legitimate encounters yeah. with yeah. christ in their church and through that they want to participate mm-hmm. they want to give themselves to the service of the ministry mm-hmm. that They had this encounter with Christ for, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, it's a normal thing to do when you start getting into the dismissive things, there's nuances to it where you'll see somebody on TV who's like an evangelist, televangelist, and then they just throw in, you don't need religion. And I'm like, you're Mm -hmm. reading scripture. Mm -hmm. This is a product Mm -hmm. of the authority of the Catholic church. Yes. Like you don't have to go far to understand this. This is where it came from. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but it was preserved by monasteries and mm-hmm. writing before the printing press came mm-hmm. out. So, for 900 years, whatever it was, we the Catholic Church was saving this book for you so you could
1: start your little church. You know, that <laughs> you same, know what I mean? That same authority that they decried that the Pope has, they acknowledge. Is, they acknowledge. <sighs> yeah. That's the but but same. They don't. But they don't. <laughs> that same authority is what to what the Well, we yeah. only believe in the Bible. Well, it's, the Bible is only the way it is because the Pope and the Catholic Church set it up that way. But
2: I've seen the bridge happen, right? right? Well, when, yeah. Whenever that bridge is laid, people are genuinely like, wow, I didn't know exactly. that the church taught that. Right. And you have sponsored so many people coming into the faith. You're currently sponsoring a couple, which right. I always love hearing the, the updates and, and you right. know, like how that's going. But from my, from my seat as a pastor with my RCIA candidates and catechumens— when I see them lock into their catechism and they're actually reading it and they're like, whoa, yeah. uh, let's talk about this real quick. you know, And it's like they're, they're coming in contact with the authoritative teaching, the definitive teaching of the successors of the apostles, the magisterium of the church, and they are feasting upon it. And it and it shows that light and that life, mm-hmm. that excitement. Yeah, and you, I mean, you live that in your in your own uh, Catholicism.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, have you either of you ever prayed and worshipped the Pope? I don't think any any Catholic has ever done if that. If they did, if a Catholic worships the Pope, they're not Catholic mm-hmm. by the very virtue of saying that Catholics worship the Pope. You misunderstand it. If a Catholic worshipped worship the Pope. They're not Catholic. They're a heretic. No one is due worship besides the Trinity. But but mm-hmm. I mean, like you would be remiss
0: to find anybody in history that worshipped yep. the Pope. Yep. Scripture
2: like, adoration belongs by right to the Lamb who was slain. You right. know, it is the manifestation of God in the person of Jesus Christ that makes right our worship and and draws us into that sanctifying relationship with God, the governing relationship with God that the Church is in charge of, yeah. and you know. <laughs> Everybody knows how much I love St. John Paul II. One of my brother priests said, Rich, we've got to figure out what the next thing to call St. John Paul II in the future, because you're you're always at an institution related to him in some way. <laughs> yeah. And from John Paul, the great Catholic university, where I studied to now John Paul II, uh Catholic church and, and so many other different things. But for me, you know, by far, like I love St. John Paul II, like Every single him. day, just absolutely love his ministry, well, his was, life, his testimony, it, but it's like a closeness of friendship and a closeness of like mentoring. Like he mentors me so that I can have an enhanced relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Yeah. And he shows me the way that he lived in the church and, and, and really uh, developed his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit in, in, in providing that that love inside of the church. So, you know, do I worship St. John Paul II? Absolutely not. But St. John Paul II helps me worship Jesus in yeah. many different respects.
1: Yeah, it's like, like how a Protestant might view Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a great Preacher who did a lot of cool things, right? And there's a lot of people who have a picture of Billy Graham in their office because he was so influential in their life. No one's, no Catholics don't accuse you of worshiping Billy Graham, but it's the same relationship. It's like Brett Favre, or you know, like Tony Romo. You know, you got pictures up because you love
0: the guy because he participated in a team that you loved Mm -hmm. and. You know, and now he's the best
2: you know sports caster out right, there in the NFL. He's like yeah. I think he's number one. Yeah, <laughs> going back to
0: your thoughts about uh, John Paul II, not only was he a, a, a terrific pope and and did a lot for the church, but but he was our pope, yeah. right? He was he yeah. was our pope when we were coming into our faith yeah. and and taking it as our own, and and as we were searching more. You know, we started reading books and all these things, and diving into his life and all these other things. And then you have World Youth Days, which oh, made a yeah. huge impact on our church and our faith. So, you know, like, and then you have other popes down the line. As you get older, you're just like, yeah. okay, you know, Pope, not pope the same God. as
2: as my Pope that I grew right, up with. Right, it's right, like right. Papa Buono, Pope John the Twenty Third. Like some of our older brothers, like Sal back in the day. You know, yeah. Father Sal, that was his pope, pope, you pope. pope. You know, and and it's true, but it's love, right? It's not it's, worship. Yeah, and that's I, right. and I, as we go through this list. When it comes to infallibility, impeccability, now does do Catholics worship the Pope? Answer: No. But I would also say, in reverse of
0: that, that Catholics sometimes worship the papacy because they're like the Pope should be doing better. If the Pope wasn't, you know, it's, that's it's, a, a it's from point. a negative from a negative standpoint. Yeah. They look at the Pope and they're like, he's not doing it right.
1: Well, they and have those like, same problems. You're right. Right. They just in reverse. Yeah, um. they're expecting. The Pope to be impeccable and to be and, and and to 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 fill the world with God's love yes. and
0: and mercy. Like, sorry, bro. Like that that is not. Do not have the capacity for that. He does not have the capacity. <laughs> he is not Jesus Christ. No. And you're not, you know, the boss of him. Yeah. Making know. those
1: expectations of, an, you know, an 80-year-old man trying to do his best to be a pastor. <laughs> an 80-year-old man. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, is. look, I've been... Of the a, universal church. Yeah, I've been 80-year-old. I've, seen, I've met 80-year-olds. And I'm an 80-year-old. I'm an 80-year-old. it takes a lot of naps. They take a lot of naps. <laughs> lot of naps. <laughs> <laughs> look. You're not when, doing enough. When you're, 80 years old, <laughs> too, when you're 80 years old, if you can get in golf and do some whittling, you've done a good job. <laughs> yeah. so, running an organization with almost oh. 2 billion people and... Countless institutions. Mm. Look, if you can do that at eighty, God bless. Call me. Right?
0: Wow, you're you're not going to
1: be crushing it. Let's put it but, that way. <laughs> but you're right. So it, again, saying that Catholics worship the Pope is just an easy, quick, flippant comment to dismiss the faith. Yeah. So that you keep them in your in in your fold. Now, this the the fourth one is kind of like that. It's another dismissive statement that a lot of. Uh, Protestants and you know the evangelicals and non-denominationals believe is that the Pope is the Antichrist. He is the and Rome is the beast of revelations, right? That's this charge and that goes all the way back to Martin Luther who would write in his thing the Pope is thou art the Antichrist and all that. Um Pope's not the Antichrist. Sorry. Just he's not um one of the charges is that and this is the main kind of explanation for why they say, well, we have proof because, you know, these groups kind of always are looking for this Gnostic knowledge of the Bible. Like, well, I've read the Bible and I've figured out the date of, you know, Armageddon and all this stuff. Well, one of them is that they say, well, the Pope's title, the Carius Dei, when you use the Greek numbering, adds up to 666. And that he has Vicarius Filii Dei written on the crown. And that's the same thing in Revelations that the Antichrist has a crown with great blasphemes on it, right? Mm. Well, there's a bunch of problems in that, okay? Number one, there is not one document or one time in the history of the church where you can find the Pope using the title the Vicar of the Son of God or in Latin, Vicarius Filii Dei. It does not exist. That was a complete Made fabrication. Up to discredit and to slander the Pope by saying he's the Antichrist. You can look at every papal tr. We have all of them. There's not one that has the Pope's titles written on them. It's not there. This is like complete fabrications. This is like just um, made up out of whole cloth to discredit the church in one fell swoop that, well, you can't follow the church, they're Antichrist. Now, what you should do is follow our little fellowship here. <laughs> give your money to us, not to the Pope who sits in Rome on the, on the dragon with seven hills and the <laughs> crown of blasphemes. You wouldn't want to give your money to him. I will gladly take it, and I will not buy a crown with it. <laughs> uh, um, but th- but that is a very common trope, and it's like, well, well the next Pope is definitely going to be Antichrist. And- You see YouTube conspiracy videos. Is the Pope the Antichrist? And it's been
2: like that in every generation. (laughs) For 500 years. Yeah, and it's the same thing, you know, the myth of revelation. You know, it's like every generation has considered its own as the worst, and there have been communities in every generation that have been calling for the end times. All the way back to Paul's generation. They all, you always think, yeah, you're right. You live in the ends. It's true. And it's like, there's, there's a description that we can draw from Paul so that we are made ready because our definitive end, we do not know the time nor the hour. So we need to be prepared and we need to have the urgency of that end time reality. There will become a definitive end. But when there's, there's such pressures and evil and manifest darkness in the world One of the responses, tragically, of humanity and and small level level sects and communities is to say it's the end times. I hear people express that even now. Mm -hmm. It's like we can't have that type of urgency where now we're dismissing the entire world and the potential for its redemption and people's conversion.
1: <laughs> but you never see people doing anything about it. They're not selling all their stuff and going to live in a bunker. Besides like the most, most, most spiritual, spiritual distraction. It yeah, really that's is. That's ultimately it is. what it is. It
0: takes you away from prayer and you, you, unity with God and, and your brothers and sisters.
1: You know, and in a lot of ways, saying that the Pope is the antichrist is very similar to the attitudes people use in racism or sexism yeah. that they can dismiss a whole people with a common statement well you know black people are this and jews are that and italians are this and chinese people are that way and women are that way and gay people are that way and they that's just that and that's all i need to say about it one statement and i can dismiss everything that they are and what they do it mm-hmm. is yeah. mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you make difference and it justifies their hate, their irrational hatred of something that does not deserve it. Mm -hmm. Right. And and we look at difference as a threat. Yeah.
2: As opposed to difference as a a complex gift, Mm -hmm. like the other is always a gift in Catholic teaching. The other is always a gift. Complementarity is used a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, You look at the Catholic Church teaching as it relates to slavery. Look at look at. Look at Catholic bishops that were standing up in Spain, expressing how we are to treat the natives when we came here in the 16th century, Yeah, you know, whether that was done on, on local levels or it was infringed upon or, or people on, on, you know, like th- that were on a ship that were soldiers yeah. treated the natives that way or not. The teaching was clear. The teaching was very clear and it's documented. Absolutely. You know and and it's important to realize we have the teachings that are very clear Mm -hmm. but do you follow them perfectly do i follow them perfectly no but the ideal law of freedom that we heard earlier in the catechism that is very clear in the scriptures is there for us so that we by way of god's mercy and his love look at look at how jesus looks at the difference of us we're we're sinners he's not yeah but he looks at us with tenderness and mercy and back to Pope Francis, you know, a few years back, he was calling for a revolution of tenderness.
1: Man, does our culture need that? Wasn't that Arby's? Oh, Arby's? <laughs> like the, the, Let's have a revolution of tenderness in our roast beef. <laughs> <laughs> ah, <laughs> we've got, we got, them got them the beef Yeah, we've got so the beef. <laughs> I got that wrong last night yeah. we were watching TV. Yeah, <laughs> when the commercial <laughs> came yeah. out. All right, so, okay, the Pope cannot just say... Something is true and it's true. The Pope can sin. He's not perfect. Mm -hmm. The Pope's not the Antichrist and Catholics don't worship the Pope. Those are the four, right? And the Pope's not Jesus. Yeah, the Pope's not Jesus because we only worship Jesus. So that Mm -hmm. is included in that. So the last one that I wanted to talk about is the conception that, and this is probably more common among Catholics because Protestants don't really care, is that the concept that the Pope is selected by the Holy Spirit directly. Um. That's not true. Mm-mm. The Holy Spirit does not pick the Pope. The Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is not the one blowing smoke up the chimney of the Vatican, right? I mean, it wasn't it like one of the apostles, they rolled dice or something? <laughs> well, they, they, <laughs> cast, they cast lots. They yeah. cast yeah. lots. Yeah. And that's, you know what, that's, that's
0: great. That <laughs> that's, a, good, that's a good
2: point. That's Matthias,
0: right? It was like yes. the first time they elected mm-hmm. an yeah. apostle, which we later now call Bishop, the office of the mm-hmm. bishop. That's Matthias. Matthias. Yeah. Yeah, So like the first one, they're like rolling lots. Or I don't even know what casting lots. Is that rolling dice? They were casting lots. I think they were. one of those
2: games out there at the casino.
1: They're drawing lots, which is usually like you pick something and, you know, Mm -hmm. the length or whatever. But that's a great example of how Catholics don't believe that the Pope is picked by the Holy Spirit, or at least they shouldn't. They believe that the Holy Spirit guides the process and that the Holy Spirit protects the process from electing. Somebody who would completely destroy the church. So the real Antichrist. <laughs> but, but the Holy Spirit doesn't even protect against electing a clunker of a pope. Yeah. He just protects against someone ruining the whole thing. Yeah. Now, someone asked um, Benedict XVI when he was still Cardinal Ratzinger about this ex- perfect thing. And you guys were talking about how John Paul was your pope. Well, Benedict's my pope, right? Yeah, he's mine too. Um, and they asked him directly in a Bavarian interview, well, you know, who's the Holy Spirit going to pick as the pope? And he's like, well... I would not say so in the sense that the Holy Spirit picks the Pope. I would say that the Spirit does not exactly take control of the affair, but rather like a good educator, as it were, leaves us much space, much freedom, without entirely abandoning us. Thus, the Spirit's role should be understood in a much more elastic sense, not that he dictates the candidate for whom one must vote. Probably the only assurance the Holy Spirit offers is that the thing cannot be totally ruined. There are too many contrary instances of the Popes that, how, that the Holy Spirit would obviously not have picked. Mm-hmm. So
2: That's why I love Pope Benedict. He's mm-hmm. so Gosh, clear I love in him. his he, teaching.
1: He's talking
0: about freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all, like God gives us freedom to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not dictate. The Holy Spirit provides counsel, wisdom. The know? gifts of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, yeah. It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we cooperate with him mm-hmm. or... Don't. Or don't, <laughs> <laughs> and that that therein lies the gift that God gives us. That you know we are we are allowed to to do that because mm-hmm.
1: He loves us. He wants us to choose to love us. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, there's there's some instances where there's been um, anti popes. Well, did those bishops believe that the pope that the Holy Spirit was you know selecting their pope? Uh, you know, this is a the church is an institution of men for men instituted by Christ, right? God doesn't need the church. God doesn't need worship. God needs nothing. The church and scripture and the teachings and the mercy are for us because we need them. It's like the Sabbath. Man is not made for the Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. Sabbath was made for man. And that's the same thing with everything. And the Holy Spirit protects us from picking, you know, Father Rich's pope, right? But he doesn't. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) But the Holy Spirit's not writing, you know, his vote on a card and then burning it in the chimney and white smoke comes out. It's like, oh, the Holy Spirit picked or yep. the Holy Spirit just possesses people. And they like, oh, Jorge Berholio, right? It, it doesn't work like mm-hmm. that. It's the same way the Holy Spirit influences anything through prayer, through consultation and through mm-hmm. guidance. The Holy Spirit gives you the wisdom and the protection of what the Holy Spirit offers.
2: And with such an old institution... And, and with such an organization that is worldwide, you think about national, uh, you know, nations that have come and gone in the process of the Catholic Church still being here or ways of governance that have come and gone and and laws that have come and gone you know, the church still has her canon law. The it's the oldest legal system and, and active in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the church as an institution, as a sovereign nation, has endured many ups and downs and this, but it is still around and it's important to realize it's still around because the one who founded it is divine Jesus Christ has established a church that the gates of the netherworld that will never destroy or make defective and that's so reassuring to me and you know when you when you consider these five i think one that's kind of overarching and could be like potentially a bonus one is that the Pope is the head of the church. He's in charge. No, never in the, in the history of the church has that ever been proclaimed because scripturally speaking, it is Jesus Christ who is head of the church. That's right. When, and, and this is a good way to kind of wrap up the show about the preeminence of Christ because that is precisely what the Catholic Church professes. Hopefully, my brothers and sisters, hopefully these five helps to kind of diffuse some of the things that are misconceptions, widely uh, misconceptions and and used as propaganda against the Catholic church for many years. But let's go back to the scripture as a foundation. The preeminence of Christ, 1st Colossians 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Yeah, amen. He is the head. That's the boss. You want to talk to the boss? That's the boss.
1: The Pope is his vicar, the Pope is the Mm -hmm. one who helps him out, Mm -hmm. right? He is not the head of the church, Christ is the head of the church. Now, before we go, I've got two things that I want to do. Number one, I'd like you to tell them everyone about our sponsor. And then after that, I have an inquisition for you.
2: Oh, Lord, have mercy. Our sponsor, Hallow, is the number one Catholic app in the App Store to date. And let me tell you, it is a magnificent app. Over 400 million prayers have been said through this app. There are contemplative prayers, Lexio Divina, Bible in the Year with Father Mike Schmitz. There's so many resources on this app, and it continues to grow. People's lives have been changed by building a habit of prayer through this wonderful technique and this wonderful application. So make sure you check out Hallow today. And as you do, realize that there are so many functions of this app. Developing your own personal prayer, developing prayer even in groups, journaling, and maintaining the consistency of prayer. That sometimes we could slip out of in the busyness of life. So check out Hallow. I am sure that it will enrich your spiritual journey with Christ.
1: All right, thank you for that, Padre. Go check out Hallow. Great app. We use it daily ourselves. Can't recommend it enough. But now is the time for the Inquisition.
2: I haven't had an Inquisition question in a long time. Well, so
1: I'm <laughs> just like tradies. We want to bring back practice. some tradition here, right? <laughs> uh-huh. There's some things that, you know, in our middle years we started getting a little lax and we had, you know, we went a little liberal on having a good structure, (laughs) but we are bringing it back, all right? Because you can never have too much inquisition. So here's the question. Now, we know that papal infallibility is not just the Pope, you know, willy-nilly proclaiming anything he wants, right? It has to be a matter of faith and morals and all those characteristics we did earlier. But if the Pope had the ability to infallibly say anything he wants. And Richard Pagano was the Pope, right? What would be that one thing that if you had that chance to change something in the church with no, with impunity, what would it be?
2: (laughs) Um, in the church, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is recently Pope Francis was given a Atlanta Hawks jersey and he blessed it. That's not going to win the Atlanta Hawks <laughs> anything like it's it's just not going to work. But I wouldn't mind blessing an Orlando Magic jersey and making sure that the Orlando Magic uh, win, you know, a, a championship or the Knicks. That would be even greater uh, a miracle that the Knicks would win. That's the first thing that came to mind. But inside the church.
1: Hmm. Yeah, if Pope Pope Dicky Pagano, <laughs> as he's known in the Italian
2: media. Do not ever call me that on social media, and never call me that again. <laughs> in that in show.
1: Well, that was La Stampa. That's the way they do it. Okay, it's the Italians. So, what would what would Pope Joseph or whatever you would pick? Mm. What would you? What Joseph jo- Valentine? <laughs> pope Jv. Yeah, you'd definitely be a Jv Pope. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you walked into that one. <laughs> yeah, he just lead me
2: that one. Um, what would I... What, oh, my gosh. And anything at all.
1: Anything at all. It doesn't even have to be in the prestige worldwide. Prestige worldwide.
2: worldwide. Wide. That's tough, man. I've never, my brain's never gone in that, in that direction. Um, okay. I would, I would establish um, territory online for bishops to exercise their ministry online that's great i like it
1: established digital diocese digital
2: diocese i would yeah. i would with specific efforts in different pastoral initiatives so For addictions, for, um, you know, marital care, for, you know, sacramental uh, instruction, for RCIA, for, you know, to kind of break it open in in that respect. But I've thought a lot about that. I think it would be very good for the universal church to have that. So I would probably lean in
1: that direction. That's a good answer. Score. Maybe the Holy Spirit's like, take noted. (laughs) Next time I pick a pope, you know, that was a pretty good answer. (laughs) You need to write a letter to
0: the
2: pope and let him know. Yeah I actually Bishop has expressed that I should write the uh the guy in the USCCB who's in charge of mm-hmm. in charge of, I'm just not that type of Person. Well, I'm, you
0: know, Father Callaway wrote the Pope about the year of Saint Joseph and he Oh really is that he read the yeah, letter that's, yeah, and Oh Calloway. that's
2: powerful man. I just don't feel like I have that type of a— uh, You do you, you, you set yourself you short. Don't, <laughs> you don't have faith and you're not practicing it. Uh, Write the letter <laughs> This is this is like providence. Maybe it's the prayers of Bishop Estevez that's yeah. uh inspiring you guys I'm to I'm not good enough that. but yeah. God is.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, then, I think you passed the the inquisition and you kept your head. Good yes. answer. Good job. It's Boom.
2: back. All right. Boom. It's back. Well, my brothers and sisters, we thank you for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Talk Show and we'll see you next week.